0: know where things were. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We are nearing the end of the book of Samuel. Samuel's been very rich with showing us what it looks like to be God's anointed king, but it's also created in me, at least, the longing for God's true king. We see the anointed king, David, in this passage, as we have all throughout 1 Samuel, and we see his rise and his coming, coming on the scene, yet it leaves this whole, this longing, saying this this can't be the true king. This can't be the king who fulfills all God's promises. And it leaves us looking for the king and looking for King Jesus. And I'm looking forward to a few weeks discovering Jesus through his miracles and parables. But this morning, let us discover something about God's anointed king here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 8. Or actually verses 9 to 31 is the main focus. So let's read God's inspired word together. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued. He and four hundred men. Two hundred stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross and broke up the sword. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate and they gave him water to drink. They gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten his fury revived, For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites, and against that which belonged to Judah, and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this man. And when he had taken them down, the whole, they were spread abroad all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil they had been taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except four hundred young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had had taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and all the people who drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David. And who had been left in the brook besorged, and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with them. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any the spoil that we recovered. Except that each man may lead away his wife and his children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given us in given into our hand the ban that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall this share be who stays by the baggage. They shall all share alike. And he made this statute a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoils to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here's a present for you from the spoiling of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth of Megab, and Jatir, and Eroer and Sipmoth and Eshtimoah, and Rakal and the cities of the Jahramelites, and the cities of the Kenites, and Hormon, Borashan, and Athak, and Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you continue to reveal yourself through your word thousands of years later. And I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself this morning through your word. That you reveal what your king looks like. God, I pray that you reveal and show to us the behavior of your true king. What your true king acts like, God. And I pray that we would look up and see you. And we would look to you and have hope and faith. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of things going astray and awry. In the midst of uncertainty in our hearts and this country, Lord. Area, Lord, I pray that we would not be uncertain, that we have a good king who seeks and saves, who rescues and rewards. God, I pray that you would strengthen me, and Father, I pray that you would enable all of us to give ear to you and your word this morning, as I preach, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was thinking about this message, I was looking out my window in my office, I'm in the office in the second story of our home, and I look out the window, and there's often little squirrels out there and sometimes you'll see the shadow of a hawk that comes and streaks down and, and picked up a squirrel. Saw that a few weeks ago. And you know, what's something I've never seen, though? I've never seen a band of squirrels go on a rescue mission. You know, I've, ne- I've never seen the squirrels get together kind of strap on their, whatever they strap. on but strap on their squirrels. I don't know, miniature squirrel guns, I don't know. And I've never seen squirrels gather together and go, all right, the eagle took, took our buddy. We're going to go get him. That was mom we're going after seen that in the animal kingdom. I've never seen when I've been out hunting and I've called a member of a deer herd, I've never seen the other deer rally around and go on a rescue mission. It's not natural for animals. But there is, there is this thing that we share, like a self-preservationist to be sure, but but only man, made in God's image, has this God-given, God-like desire to rescue go after the lost, to go to seek and to restore, to, to bring back those who have been taken away. There's something in the heart of man, made in God's image, that makes him want to seek after the lost. There's something that makes man want to follow up, to, to run after those who have been taken from him. And that's what we see in our account today. It says, God-given God honoring, this God like seeking after the lost, running after the lost. You see, David, he returned home to Ziklag with his men. He had been gone away, almost getting himself in trouble, fighting against his own people. God delivers him. They had spent three days marching up, three days marching back. They come back to their hometown of Ziklag, and what they find is their town is burning. Their families, David's wives, probably children at the time, um, all of his men's families, all of their possessions have been taken away. Could you imagine? And their homes as well were burned to the ground. Nothing was left. And what they're lamenting, though, is not their possessions. What they're lamenting is that that their people, their family, their loved ones have been taken from them. And, And you see this desire. You see this desire. After they were distraught, they were sad, David goes and he seeks the Lord. He was grieving. He wasn't going to give up now. And this 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 loss, it, it, it causes him to turn back to God. We saw last week as he turned back to God after a while of wandering away from God. He turns back to God. He finds strength in God through his priest and through God's word. But he doesn't just stop there and say, Hey, I feel good about myself now. After seeking God's will, David took action. God's king does. He takes action for his people. And as soon as David recovers his emotions, God's anointed King David, what does he do? We see the very first thing, the very first scene that we have here is is that God's king runs after the lost. God's king runs after the lost. It's the first response that we see of the four responses that we're going to focus on. The first response is he runs after the lost. This was no let go and let God this wasn't, you know what? Hey, I'm gonna hear God's will, I'm gonna hear from him, but I'm not gonna do anything about it. No. His, his king could not sit still. His king ran after his people. It says that he was sad, they'd been too distraught to continue to cry. They had cried their eyes out as we said today. They, they cried so much that they didn't have the any strength to cry any longer. He was probably very tired. His men had to march for at least six days. Think about it. If you're, if you're marching towards war, you've got all the, all the armaments that you need with you, whatever they were taking back with them, all the supplies, all the equipment, all those things, and they had marched three days up and three days back. And when they get back, they're exhausted. They probably march 30 miles a day. they take all the for battle, but they're physically, they're emotionally exhausted now. The family's been taken from him. But what did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord through God's priest and God's word. And then he responds. He doesn't stay there. God's king responded. And he rallied the men. This men that just wanted to kill him. They just wanted to commit mutiny. They were picking up stones to stone David. Can you imagine that? And yet David says, no. I'm going to, in the midst of my men, rebelling against me. I'm going to lead. I'm going to continue to, even though my own people, my own men are against me, I'm going to go out and seek and save those who have been lost. And so he rallies these 600 warriors to march and go find their families and possessions. The closest I can get to personally relating to this is when I, for a very brief moment, lost one of my children. Uh, they're all back. I've got six. They're still here. Um, and you, know, be sad and you know the end, right? Um, it's kind of like when you're watching a movie, the main character, you, you know it was all the way at the very end of the story. And you know, is he going to die? My, my kids are always asking, like, yeah, let's do the whole story. Okay, so my, my, my daughter, Sarah, she, she's still with us. We didn't lose her permanently. But if you've ever been a parent, you know what I mean? That feeling you get, even for just a moment, when you turn around and you see that where where's one of my kids? I've heard stories from a few of you who left a few of your kids behind us the their names. But um, I can maybe tell you later some good stories. Uh, we, we were at Bush Gardens in Tampa Bay, and all the kids were in this kind of kid area, and, and they were doing their thing that we had four at the time. And turn around and one of the kids was supposed to be Julie. I had some other kids, two of the other kids. And, and so I go to Julie and say, hey, where's where's Sam? I'm like, what do you mean? I thought you had her. <laughs> Why do I thought you <laughs> had? And so we turn around and we we we, we, we looked all over this kid's area. I was frantic, this, this panic moment, and I realized that she was not around. And Sarah's this time, she's this cute little, she's still a cute, cute little blonde girl. And, and I thought, oh my goodness, what could happen? the in amusement in park and theme park. How quickly could she be taken away? And so I panicked and I ran all over the place and said, Julie, you stay here. I'm going to run around the park. And so I literally ran the entire theme park. I think I set the record. I don't know if anybody's ever done that. That was Garden before. Uh, I, I don't know how many miles it is around the whole park, but I booked the whole park in record time. I don't think I've ever run so fast. Just looking at every area of every line, everywhere, running and, and looking for her. Well, finally, we recovered her seat. I said, Hiding from us in a little a little mushroom house thing hiding behind there and she she thought we'd be funny. And, um, but you know, I, I was running, I'd never run faster. I'd never had more of a sense of urgency and desire to get her back, to get my family back. She was lost, and I ran after. I think that's the heart of God, really, and that's the heart that He gives all of us. And the heart that is seen in His King here runs after the lost. And by the time David and his men, they get to the Brook of Sword. They're exhausted already. They've been tired for six days of marching. And then they march about fifteen miles further south. And so we see that David leaves 200 men behind. Of course they're tired. They're not wanting to stay there. They must not have been able to go on. I can imagine they too wanted to go follow the families but they were probably just too physically worn out. And they're too tired to go on. So they stay behind and they, they watch the extra baggage. Maybe he can't, a book of store, but David, he, he's on a mission. He wants, he's God's king. He's God's anointed one. He wants to run after the lost. Yes, he doesn't even know where they're at yet. He doesn't, doesn't know where, where they've been taken or who even took them, but he, he doesn't care. He had that kind of, that, I can imagine, that thought of, I don't care. I'm going to look everywhere until I find them. And then running really, like the back of my head is, if I find her with someone, I'm going to do violence. David was ready to do violence, I'm sure, to these people. So he goes out and he is running to seek to save the lost. And so verse 11 tells us that as they were searching out in the open country, they found an Egyptian, one of the enemies of the people of God. Even though they were in a hurry, there's something else here in the text. They do something strange. In the middle of hurrying to run after the lost, they they do something strange. David, they bring him to David okay, well, they're just going to interrogate them. Have you ever seen a movie, you know, where they, they bring somebody who they found, somebody from the camp? they can't interrogate them, and then, then, then they go on their way, right? David doesn't do that. He stops and he revives them. Because that's what God's king does. He doesn't just rush past the hurting. He stops and revives them and brings them with him. And so we see that God's only king, he graciously revives Restores. See, we're learning some things about God's unwind king, God's chosen king. He seeks out the lost. He runs after the lost. He runs after them. And he revives and he restores all he finds who were broken. And so, this Egyptian slave, he was likely pretty pretty weak. He was probably very near death. Um, we find out in just a verse or two that he was three days and three nights with no food and no drink. This is out in the open country that was probably Desert area. There's not a lot of uh, the green space when you get below Ziklag in, in the desert. And, and so he is out by himself. He'd been left behind because he was sick, the text tells us. He was sick. His master left behind, left him for dead already. He already was slowing people down the orient He was unable to, to follow on his own. And yet David sees him. And he doesn't just try to get something out of him. He doesn't try to use him. He, he refreshes they gave him some of their best food. says They gave him bread, water, drink. But then it spells something out. I mean, Whenever the Bible spells things out, it's meant to show something. And, and it spells out the details of what they gave him. is because it was showing that they took time to give him their best. They took time to to be generous. You see, the, the, the big cakes would have been kind of like their protein bars, you know, for, for the army at the time. And, and the raisins were like their energy bars. So they are protein, their energy bars. And so they're giving them their best, what they would need for the journey. And they're giving them what they would have prized. To refresh and revive and restore this enemy. They didn't just try to get stuff out of him. They gave him food. They gave him water. They gave him, they gave him a big cake. They gave him two clusters of raisins. In the middle of their hot pursuit, they didn't just question him. They treated him as a commodity. He used and discarded this. It's not how God's king is to act. It's not what God's king does. They gave him refreshments. And it says something interesting. It says, And his spirit was revived. His spirit was revived. And you might not think of this gesture, but it's, it's remarkable kindness. You see, Egyptians were God's enemies, and slaves weren't thought as being valuable enough to, to care for, especially slaves of an enemy. And then he comes out, he, he, he finds out later, and not least an the Egyptian, they were that up in his dress, and he's a slave, they wouldn't be able to see that easily. They find out later, he's a Malachite slave, or a slave of a Malachite. <laughs> They didn't really have a time to delay this, but something strange here, they, they slowed down on this mission, this rescue mission to seek and save the lost ones. They didn't have time for that, did they? <coughs> but God's king takes time to divide and restore. On this mission, David had mercy on this warrior. Here spirit was revived. We see in verse 13, look at the Bibles. Finally, after a few verses here, probably who knows how long it had been, maybe part of the day. Maybe it was a whole day and night, who knows? David asks him, "Who who do you belong to?" You know, clearly he's a slave, so he asks him, "Who do you belong to?" And then the story takes this really helpful turn. This this young Egyptian man speaks up and he says, "I'm a servant of an Amalekite." And then I I wonder if they thought, "Mm, "That's interesting." They didn't yet know who would take him. He says, "Hey, we were we were outraging not only the people that we gathered, the Cherethites and Judah and Caleb. Imagine this was making David's men a little upset. Hey, that's our kinsman." But then he says, "Ziklag." They didn't immediately kill him. But this was the break that David and his men needed. This was God's providence that God was providing. It's one of the sub-stories. It provides so many lessons, so many things to learn from these stories. But God providentially set up just the right man, just the right person they needed to find in order to restore their people, to seek their state of loss, to, to get them back. And this was the break they needed. had good, what we would have called back in the days of when I worked the government, actionable intelligence sins God was providing for them through an Egyptian servant. He's thinking about how God does that, not just for His King, but He does that for His people. He does that for us. Philippians tells us in Philippians 4, He says, My God will supply every need of yours, according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As we see that not only is it God's King here, He's reviving and restoring, but it's also God Himself, the King over all, the King over God's kings, who's He's providing everything that his people need. And he used whatever means to restore was lost. So David asks this Egyptian servant, to take him, he says, Would you take me down to this band of raiders? But this Egyptian's not dumb. <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's probably heard tales, you know, about what happens to those who are captured. And, and so he, he knows that once he gives up the location of the of the Amalekites, and he tells them where he's that, he can either be killed by David's men, because they have no use for him after that, or worse, he would be returned to his owners. And then they would abuse him and kill him. So, he says, I'll, I'll do that. I'll offer to take you down, but only if you swear by God that you're not going to kill me or turn me in. We see that's not David's intent at all. Clearly, he must be grief returned because the servant who left behind he now takes David and his men down. He's just where they're camped out. And So, David, he not only revived this Egyptian, he, he restored them to usefulness. He restored them to usefulness. He, he was a useful service of the king. And then verse 16 describes the scene that they see as they, they kind of made, I can see them come up over this hill, they see all through the whole valley, they're all spread out, they didn't expect the Philistines to come back, so they, they raided the land of the Philistines and they probably didn't know until they attacked them that that sick lag belonged to David, but
1: they were spread out everywhere.
0: They didn't leave a watch. they didn't leave a guard. They had no concerns. All the Philistines, they gone up to fight the Israelites, they thought everything was safe. And so they were spread out. It says, everywhere. They're eating and drinking. They're, you know, picture the scene. It was, um, I don't know, like MTV spring break, you know, that's just debauchery everywhere. They're partying all over the place. And, and there was all these spoils that they were proud of. And they were, they were drinking up. They were enjoying the earthly rewards. But, but what they didn't know is while they were doing that. Now, interesting to note that this is a large horse because they normally find out 400 the ran away. David's only got 400. Yeah. But what we see next is really a remarkable rescue. You see, God's anointed King rescues. What else do we learn about God's King? Not only does He run after the lost, does He revive and restore, but He rescues because that's who God's King is. Verse 17, look down your Bibles, tells us that David and his men struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. They probably were partying up and had some fires out there, and just as, as the light was going away, David and his men, they strike, and they strike them from then all the way, all the way until the evening of the next day, a whole day of fighting. And it says, Not a man escapes. And, and think about that, that must have been a huge force to begin with. If, it took them a whole day to fight. And no one escaped. And then it says, but except for just 400. So they kind of minimize the fact that except for just 400, they went away. So in comparison, what you're saying is this, this vast army was defeated by 400 men. And just 400 men went away. So, wow, God's hand must have been with the king as he rescued. Because he says his force of 400 men, they routed them all. And then 400 men on camels. You know, their cavalry at the time, and I doubt that David had 400 camels. And so, you know, the elite fighting force, the cavalry at the time, they all ran because God's king had come to rescue. And he was taking names and, and killing and redeeming his people. And so it's like, all an impressive victory. David has his men recovered everything that had been stolen. I, 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 the, the text really draws attention to that. They recovered everything. That was stolen. Nothing was gone missing. Including his two wives. What a relief. What a joy that must have been. So much greater than the joy I had when I, we found Sarah hiding under the mushroom house. What joy they must have had if they confirmed they had everybody back. Every family member was there. All their possessions too. So there's the joy. Oh, all our family members here. My wife is back. And they, were, they weren't harming everybody's back. And, and in one piece. Not only that. Oh my goodness. All of our possessions are here. And not only that. All the possessions. The Malachites that, that doubled what our possessions have been. They're all there too. So they must have had extreme joy. As David, as a picture of king, who rescues completely. He restores and returns fully. It says he brought back all. Look at verse 19. He brought back all. Oh, nothing was missing, whether great or small, sons sort of, or daughters, spoiled or anything to take taken. David brought back all. God's kingdom whoever he's been given, he goes and gets and he brings back. Reminds me of like Jesus was praying to the Father in John 17. He says, All that you give, we have not lost. I've not lost a single one. God's king loses none of his own. You knowing a king that took what belonged to the enemy and brought it back to spoil. I was just thinking about how how, how God has given to, to all of us a desire to rescue. It really comes from him. We've been made in God's image. And so that desire it, it's not an animal kingdom. that doesn't come through evolution. It's not a this is something that was created in us as God created us and breathed his life into us and created us in his image and formed us with us on the ground. God breathed the likeness in us of him the Rescuing God. Vaguely <clears> remember <throat> back in 1976, I was glued to the TV. We, our family it was a big drama that was playing out across the world over in Uganda in 1976, and there had been this week-long hostage situation. Eventually, it became a daring rescue that happened in Tembwe, Uganda. You see, Palestinian terrorists had hijacked at Air France flight out of Athens. It was headed for Israel. Um, they didn't make it to Israel. Two attackers stood up with grenade in one hand, pistol in another. He cut. I don't know how they got through security like that, but it was a great in one hand, pistols in the other, a husband and wife team. And they stood up and they threatened everybody. And he went to the cockpit. They redirected the plane. They had to fuel in Benghazi, Libya, and they went over to Uganda. So this is saga playing out on television screen. and It was a big deal. It is a big deal he thought what's going to happen to these people there were some somewhere close to 248 people on that plane and they were they, were, they went to the tarmac and they took the prisoners of, and they separated them because they were Palestinian terrorists they hated the Jews they hated God's people and so they separated the two different places separated the Jews from, from everybody else and they said if you don't release these these 50 terrorists from jail in Israel then we're going to kill every one of these Jews and it was this International kind of drama that played out, and we are watching on TV, what's gonna happen? How in the world will, will, will they rescue them? It, it seems impossible. They were in Uganda at the time being ruled by Idi Amin, who was no friend of the United States, and he was sheltering them. And his actually men were protecting the base, and so it wasn't just hostages, the men protecting the base around there. And this drama just played out. The goal was to force. To release the terrorists from jail, they were clearly the man. They said they slaughter God's people, the Jews. If, if the prisoners weren't released, and eventually during the course of that week, they released 148 non-Jewish hostages, but they kept almost all 100 Jewish hostages. And this this team of seven hijackers, they demanded five million dollars and released the prisoners. And they start killing the Jews. And what they didn't know was that as soon as that hijacking took place, back at headquarters, back in Israel. The, the Prime Minister, um, he, I think yeah, it's something like my I think so. Um, back in that day, he, he was preparing a rescue mission. So on the outside, they pretended to negotiate to drag things out, the terrorists, but on the inside, the cabinet, he was preparing a rescue mission. He sent a hundred commandos from this, this elite fighting force. This unit got Sayeret Matkal, they're a, the, the Navy SEALs, the, the Delta Force of the Israeli military, they are some bad dudes, and so he sent them, it took about a week, the whole week to plan it, and finally, after planning, they go there, and they surreptitiously they, they land another airport over, they drive through, they posed actually as EDM means men, and, 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 and they came into this other airport, and this whole, this operation took a week to plan, from start to finish, it was only 90 minutes total. A guy named Max Andrews, he wrote the rescue, he said, The commandos ordered the hostages to the planes that were waiting in takeoff position, engines still running. They had the plane silently over to this, from another airport, over. He says, The hostages ran the planes, great fireballs erupted in the distance, as Israeli commandos blew up the 11 park MiG jets that were scrambled to intercept escaping Israeli planes. As the hostages and commandos rushed onto the huge Hercules, the rear hatch slammed shut. 53 minutes after the raid began, the planes began moving in position for takeoff. The hostages were safe. You know, the rescue season wasn't letter perfect. Three hostages lost their lives. It was deeply sad, even all of oh, them may have died otherwise. Remarkably, only one Israeli commando lost his life. The assault force commander, Colonel Jonathan Netanyahu, who is uh, actually be the brother of the current prime minister. A sniper in a control tower killed him with a bullet in the back. Netanyahu gave his life to save others. You know, that day, 102 hostages were rescued. All the hijackers in the Ugandan guards placed by Udemy, they were all killed. It was a daring rescue mission. It sent a clear message to terrorists that the Israelis were going to rescue their people. They would not negotiate as, as daring as that rescue mission was, as daring as David's rescue mission was as well as he encounters this, this huge force that was against him, it, it really it pales in comparison. I think it's meant to, to point us to the character of God's king and to see that the future king, Jesus, was the one who came in the middle of the night. To rescue mankind at our darkest hour because God so loved us. And he wants us to be free and Jesus, the true anointed king, he came to on this rescue mission of insurmountable odds against all of the evil forces of the devil against the flesh, against the world. Luke 19.10 uh, gives us the character, the heart of the true king. And it says, the son of man, king Jesus, came to see Galatians 1-3 says, Grace to you, Paul praise, and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. You know, Netanyahu who gave himself to rescue 102 <laughs> people. They still esteem them today, and that is that they do so. We esteem all those on Memorial Day who gave their lives to rescue us, to, to give us freedom. And that's good and right that we do so on Memorial Day. Actually, it's a good right to do so on any day there's something that God placed in the lives of of those people who gave their lives for us to secure freedom. But all of those things are meant to point us to the fact that there is a desire in man that's different from everyone else that's been given by God and we see the greatest example of that desire carried out in Jesus Christ. It says he gave himself for our sins. That he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom you the glory. Colossians 1.13 says, For He rescued us. You see the language of Scripture all throughout Scripture. God has been on a rescue mission to seek and save those who have been taken from Him. From the very beginning of the Garden of Eden, when mankind was taken away in his own sin, deceived by the devil, taken away into the domain of, dominion of darkness. And God has always been on a rescue mission. And then the culmination of this rescue mission, this great news, this tells us, for He rescued us from the domain of darkness. And He transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He didn't just take us out of Uganda and to the kingdom of Israel. He took us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His Son that will never end. The government that will never fail. Never fail. It says in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus, the Rescues and brings us back in the darkness. Of all will trust in Him. He's able to save and rescue completely. You know, something the passage in the Bible says that He's able to save to the uttermost. It's the same kind of language we see here said the He saved all. He rescued all. Everything. Jesus rescues all. He saves to the uttermost. All who come to Him. We we'll look at the Bibles in verse twenty-one. We see the King. He returns victoriously. So the 200 men who were left behind, they were too exhausted to go with them. They were stayed back in the baggage lightly. They left them behind with all their military supplies and gear so they could be light and fast. And so these men are left behind, and they must have been overjoyed as they saw David coming, and they see their families coming. This, this force, not a 400, but there were likely over 1,000 people. And they all had family, and so this, this multitude comes, and we see that God's King graciously rewards. David's greeting must have been such a welcome sign to them after they waited, wondering whether or not they would ever see their loved ones again. But their celebrating was cut short. All, it says, look at the Bible, it says, all of the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who have gone said, you know, you stay behind, you can't have anything. You haven't earned it. And isn't that the sin nature? Isn't that the mentality we can have sometimes too, that who don't learn and can't share what our king's money does and it to us. Sometimes you feel that about yourself, too. You know, I, I haven't really earned it. I haven't earned this year before, so I feel bad about it. Sometimes other some people look down on others who haven't earned it or have another share. It's a self righteous view that if it's somehow they would have been able to win the victory without the anointed king's leading, without his guidance, without his fighting on the behalf. They have this stingy, unmerciful view. Things first of their own gain, and less of what their loving generosity towards needy brothers both like. And here they say, "Look in your Bibles again." It says, "Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil, as if it belonged to them." Yeah. As if, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children to depart. You know, they, they had fought alongside the other two hundred men for probably years. With David on the run, and yet suddenly they were willing to abandon their fellow man who they fought with and lived with for years because they were weak. They looked down on themselves righteously because they weren't able to fight, as if they're just being lazy or certain responsibility. You ever ever do that? Other people? Well, they became stingy. They ignored the fact their brothers had lost everything to the Malachi's way the city, and they quickly turned a great victory into something that was based on burning. <laughs> they turned this great victory of their king of their leader and he led them into, really the God led them into. And they turned that into all about burning. You know, we're prone to the same things sometimes, aren't we? We think people who might be in need and begin to question their motives or maybe suspect they lazy and side road are like, why are they working? Okay, well, don't They don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve God's mercy. They don't deserve God's grace. God's kindness. God's goodness. God's undeserved favor. I, I do because I work. That's why I have things, because I've done things for myself. You ever you feel that way? And you forget that it's God who provided for you? That's what these men have done. They forgot it's God who provided you. No people we can forget that we are personally recipients of completely undeserved favor, kindness, and generosity from God. Our people. We're prone, we're just like those
1: we're prone. The king's won this great victory for us. And
0: then we think, well, we did that. Now, we, we participate in some way. We forget that we're recipients of completely undeserved favor, kindness, and generosity. We forget we received what we didn't deserve from God. What we received His grace instead of His wrath. What we received His kindness instead of His anger. What we receive His generosity instead of His punishment. And isn't the whole point though, of the Christian message one of offering fellow undeserving people who did not earn God's favor the great riches of His grace. Isn't that how followers of the King should be responding as they see the King's rescue mission, as they see Him, how He treats and revives and restores even His enemies? Isn't that what our message is, that God gives His great riches of grace to us when we wish to meet Him? <laughs> left behind. Isn't that what God does for us? But doesn't the gospel message go even further than that? It goes further than that the good news is we deserve God's punishment is just for after how we actively, personally offended Him, disobeyed Him, yet we are not punished. We're given the spoils of His own Son. We're given the inheritance that belongs to Jesus. That's scary see, David recognized that even though they had fought, it was God who had given them all that they had. You see, look down in your Bible and what does David say to be funny to hear? He says, you shall not do so, my brothers, verse 23, with what, pay attention here, what the Lord has given us. David knew who had given them victory. He knew who had placed the Egyptian there. He knew who had led them to the right place. He knew who had enabled them to rout the greater force and so he says, brothers, you can't do this. God preserved us. God had given us these gifts. I mean, and he uses right, biblical logic. Do you use that kind of logic, as you think, about your fellow man? about your fellow believer? It is the logic that drove his generosity, which you pay attention to as well. He, he thought if everything was a gift from God, if, if God was really the one behind the scenes doing all of this, it wasn't our own effort, then shouldn't we give freely to our fellow man as God how do you react to God's grace in your life? You okay. see, God's anointed King would not withhold the generosity that God had given to him. He would share with all of those in His army equally. His equally. God's anointed King graciously rewards. What great news it must have been for those men who were left behind with baggage. And they shockingly heard the brothers say, you know, you're not going to give me more because you didn't go to fight with us. And they're thinking, oh my God. Thank you for our family. We are very grateful for that. And yeah, we are destitute. We won't have anything to provide for them if we're going to be left in the desert on our own. Destitute. And yet God's anointed king would not leave them destitute. He wouldn't just be kind and merciful. He was rewarding them graciously. Could you imagine their joy? those 200 and I not think were they really getting the families back because yes that was good point they were getting everything back that they had taken from them, and much more can you imagine their gratitude to their king who wouldn't want to serve such a generous king from the least in the kingdom to the greatest the reward was the same that's what he and David established from the smallest to the greatest everyone will get their share of the reward all of my people All of God's people will receive a reward, regardless of their position, regardless of what they've done. All of God's people receive the generous reward of the generous King. Isn't that what Jesus, the true King, is like in relating to us? It's not about earning His rewards. We were even worse off than that 200 who had been left behind there or two feet left the brook. We weren't even going after. We weren't even doing what was right. And God the Father sent us the ultimate King, His Son, to provide a substitute for us. That when we could not do what we should have done, God did. And Jesus, the Son of God, comes willingly. He takes our place. He fought our battles over sin. And He won the victory over all of our enemies of sin, the flesh, and evil, and Satan. And
1: not only that, now Jesus, He has won all the spoils. So that He says in, in the future that all things now are under His feet.
0: In the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. He has a King who has won back all that has been stolen from Adam. But He draws the spoils of His own inheritance on top of that. He hasn't just gotten us. The good things that Adam lost. He has restored that. And now in store for us. It's just a matter of time until he returns. Until he comes back. We are waiting. His people waiting by the brook and saying. I know my king is going to rescue. And now he's coming back. And he's coming back with even more of an inheritance. When David made this statue. This rule for Israel from then until now it points to a greater statue and a rule for all of God's people. All the rewards of the king come to us for the same. Irrespective of what works you've done, what role you have. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you can share equally in the king's reward. Oh, that's good, news. Now, Pharisees didn't like that. Maybe your Pharisee hears you and you're thinking that too. The Pharisees didn't like that, so Jesus told them a parable about it people in the vineyard now, um, he agreed, and some people in the vineyard came and said, hey, I'm going to give you a denarius, a day's wage, and, and you pay. they said, hey, great, that's a good idea, so they did this, they worked for a whole day, and the people came at the, like, the fourth hour, and the final hour said, so "How paid pay, fair, so they worked, and then he pays these men who came at the final hour, those men who came at the fourth hour, he pays them a denarii, so the people came at the beginning, and think, hey, that's great, we're going to get more, but the king paid them a denarius too, and Jesus was drawing attention to this very same principle that David had put in place, that Jesus reiterated, He's, he says that all, oh, no matter what your goal is, no matter how long you've worked, it's not about your works. It's all about mercy. You're missing the point, Pharisees. You're missing the point. It's not about how much you work. It's about the gracious, merciful King that I am to give to you freely. whether well, you deserve it or not? But the chapter, it doesn't end there. Even with that wonderful truth that we can take home, no matter what our goal is, whether we give generously to all who follow him. It doesn't end there. Close the picture of the annoying King David graciously giving to all his people. Notice he says, he doesn't just say, here's a present for you, the spoiled enemies of the Lord. He goes and he takes the spoils to all the people who have ever helped him. All the people who have ever given something to him. And, And whenever we see strangers in need, we welcome them in. Whenever we visit the sick or those in prison, we minister to them, we feed the hungry or give to the poor that is evidence that we're following the king but, but God doesn't just say hey great job the king takes notice when we live out our lives in response to his grace like that he takes note as we've given shelter or fed the least of these he says we've, we've fed and sheltered our king paraphrasing Matthew 25 and he's going to reward us in Matthew 25 34 Jesus says then the king will say to those on his right Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you the foundation of the world. What Adam didn't know, what mankind did not know, was that although we were taken hostage and. sin, God is one who runs after us. I think that's, God wants to reiterate that. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, does God really care about me? But if you place your faith, your hope in Jesus, He runs after you no matter how far you might feel you are from Him. We have a King who runs after. We have a King who revives and restores. We have a King who seeks and saves, who rescues. And we have a King as well who rewards, not based on your merit, not based on what you've done, not based on your role. The only question that remains is whether you are his people or not. If you are, you could not be in better hands than in those of your gracious king who rescues and rewards. That's what the idea is really it's that God's king, he rescues and rewards. And if you're God's people, we can place our faith and our hope and our confidence there. Maybe you're weak, you need reviving, he gives you the best. Come to his word and feed on him. He says, I'm the bread of life. If you're hungry, you come to him and eat. Eat in his goodness. If you're thirsty, David gave bread and water. Jesus gives himself his bread. He gives himself his his water. You couldn't be better hands than those of the King who runs after, who revives, who rescues, he rewards. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. As we pray, I feel good to come up and close with something. Father, Thank you that you reveal the heart of your King to us. Thank you that that's your heart that you created. Thank you, King Jesus, that you were the one who gave us that same desire to to rescue and to restore, to run after, to revive. And Jesus, thank you that you have done that with us. You have have run after each and every one of us here. You even told the parable, God, of, of that one lost sheep that you ran after saw the prodigal far off, you ran to them. Now there are many of us here who are still prodigals. I pray that as the Lord would seek you, that you were running towards them, not away from them. I pray that they would be revived and restored. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us. We would all recognize that we once were running away from you, and yet you ran towards us. I pray that you would use that to revive and restore us. God, I pray that, it refreshes morning, that you would refresh us this morning, as you would give us hope that you reward as well as rescue you reward. And so Father, I pray that we would sing of you rewards. Sing of you goodness. Lord, may we revel in you. The only appropriate response for us now is to worship God. And so may we worship you in our spirit as a response to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing together.